Louis Zamperini, the Olympic athlete and famous World War II prisoner of war, and of course, as so many of us know, the subject of the book Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand and later the major motion picture called by the same name. Louis Zamperini was a man after his his conversion to Jesus Christ who lived and worked to repay evil with good. His name, as I studied this week, popped into my mind because after he placed his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, by his own testimony, he was a completely different man with nothing in his heart but love and forgiveness. As you know, of course, his dear son, Luke Zamperini, and his wife, Lisa, are members of our fellowship and They've recounted to me on personal levels what Louis Zamperini was after he came to faith in Christ, completely changed. And as I was thinking about how to introduce the message this morning, overcoming evil with good, I thought of Louis' own autobiography, which is called Devil at My Heels. And on page 283, this is what is said by Louis regarding all of the abuse that he took by being a prisoner of war and his mindset. And as he was looking back on those things, and as he was looking forward because of his faith in Christ, he wrote this. The Bible says all things work together for good, for those who love the Lord. If it hadn't been for the bird, and if you've seen the movie or read the book, you know that the bird was the nickname of a particular Japanese soldier who was at the prisoner of war camp in which Louis resided and was so very, very onerous toward him, constantly beating him and the other prisoners. If it hadn't been for the bird, I would never have been converted. My life would have never changed. But my torments about him drove me to destruction. And when my whole world completely crumbled around me, it was like on the life raft. There was nowhere else to turn. Like I've said, everybody looks up. Then he talks about the time that he returned for the first time many, many years later, not only after his conversion, but many years later after that scene that was replayed in his mind over and over and over again of the Japanese prisoner of war camp. He says this upon his return to that great country of Japan, as I ran with that symbol of international sportsmanship and cooperation held high, I kept thinking about Camp 4B, that's where he was located, and the war. And the contrast between my life then and now. Then I was beaten almost daily, and all around me people died. Now I ran with thousands of people lining the road most of them the kids or grandkids of the war generation, cheering and screaming. Then I hated Japan and wanted revenge. Now I thought about the bird getting away scot-free and felt no bitterness at all. I forgave, and even better, understood what forgiveness had done for me. What a story. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and particularly verse 15. As you're turning there, let me ask you, how do you respond 
to evil perpetrated against you. You know, when you come to Paul's teaching in the New Testament, particularly here of the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, we have a very succinct statement on how to respond. And of course, there is in this statement a negative and a positive aspect to this command, and it is a command. The negative statement, of course, is see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. The positive statement is always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So first the negative, then the positive aspects of this command. And this is so short and so to the point, yet with Paul here in both First and Second Thessalonians, he speaks often in these very books of suffering, persecution, even against him, not just the Thessalonians, but to Paul and his traveling companions as well. And yet here he is making a short blanket statement about overcoming evil with good. And though the statement itself is so short, I would think you shall agree with me when I say it is so very hard to obey. The whole command is this. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's our text. But before we look specifically at this text, we probably would do well to find out what the Bible says in general about this matter of retaliation or revenge. Because if you don't read your Bible carefully through both the Old and New Testaments, when you come across themes like this, you might be finding yourself a little uh, confused, perhaps even seeing the possibility in your mind of levels of contradiction, perhaps. And you say, no, no, not me. I believe every word of the Bible. I'm a conservative, Bible-believing Christian, and there are no contradictions in the Bible. Well, that's good, and I affirm that too. But there are some vexing statements that on the surface appear to be potentially contradictory. We have to understand them. So perhaps today, not what we might say is a classic sermon, how about a classic Bible study? Because that's really what sermons are, right? So let's do that. Let's find out from some passages that we'll go to, and I want you to do the best you can to follow me in your own Bibles, and perhaps as you open to these scriptural passages, you might even star them or underline them and look at them later and look at them thematically and maybe even canonically. That is, you look at it as we'll find some of those passages first listed for us in the Pentateuch, and then we'll come all the way through to the New Testament, including this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, and then also in 1 Peter and some other places in our New Testament, so that we can sort of coalesce them all together and find out uh, what the Bible might, at least in a brief message of uh, one sermon, uh, comprehensively says about this matter of retaliation and, uh, and revenge. It's a, it's a major subject. It's, it's probably something that we often really struggle with. And if you don't see all of these passages as you ought to see them, you could be not only very confused, but uh, perhaps even a little vexed yourself about what the Bible truly teaches. So let's do this. Let's start in the Pentateuch. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Now, as you're turning there, of course, I want you to know that there was in these passages in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, as we look at them, there is what we could say from the old Latin, lex talionis, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, understanding. That's what we find here in 
the first books of our Bible in the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of Moses. And if you look at chapter 21 of Exodus, you find this idea of lex talionis, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Here's what it says. Look at verse 22 of Exodus 21. When men strive together, that is, they're they're at each other's throats, they're fighting. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine." But if there is harm, then you shall pay, and notice this lex talionis, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now that's quite amazing, isn't it? And what it appears to be saying is that if there is levels of damage, even physical damage here, then there's to be a kind of retribution, but it should be exact. And you might think, well, that sounds a lot like retaliation. That sounds a lot like revenge. Well, if, if I'm fighting with another man and uh, perhaps it's over this woman here who happens also to be pregnant and, and uh, uh, perhaps in the, the melee of the occurrence, uh, uh, an eye is gouged out. Well, then this seems to be saying that uh, the perpetrator of doing such a thing must have his eye, his own eye gouged out. That's, that's the revenge. That's the retaliation. But really, if you think about it, The Scripture here, as it begins with this this law, this law of Moses, is actually restricting matters, right? Because think about it, if if somebody were injured physically in this this fisticuffs incident, uh, not even withstanding the injury to the woman, if there's a fight and uh, if uh, there's damage, if there's a a physical issue, uh, this is actually restricting things. Don't misunderstand. This is actually saying, yes, there's going to be recompense, and uh, the Bible here even talks about judges. So uh, there's uh, some kind of adjudication of the matter, right? This is actually putting a a restriction on the damage that could be done for the person who's looking to inflict more damage than what he himself received. So keep that in mind. That's Exodus. Look at Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24. And we should probably begin around verse 17, let's say, and go to verse 22. This is that lex talionis again, eye for an eye. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. You see, uh, a life that is taken uh, must demand a life of the one who's taken such life. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner, uh, that's of course a non-Jewish person, and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So this was the law. This was the law of the land. Lex talionis, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. This is what should be happening. This is, again, a restriction. This is a, a kind of adjudication that says there has to be some regularity so that people aren't inflicting their own damage at their own pace and at their own desire. So these are laws about mankind's conflict with each other. Okay, how about Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. This is just one verse, but it's important. Chapter 19. 
Verse 21, your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, this is the reiteration of the law, but you see now in three different passages, and I've just given you the three, that the Pentateuch has a restrictive nature to the recompense, to the, to the damage done, to the retaliation. But now I want you to see something as we continue to move canonically through the Bible. Let's go to the wisdom literature. Turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 7, Psalm 7. And you're going to begin to see with more revelation, with more insight, with more input, not a change as such, but more revelation, more teaching, more wisdom that's coming to the believer. Psalm 7, of course, this is David. This is a Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. And in chapter 7, notice verses 4 and 5. David says about himself, uh, even backing up to verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, whatever wrong, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, in other words, he's not overcome evil with good, he's responding in a retaliatory sense, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. He is reiterating this lex talionis, of course. In other words, if I do something against someone, I ought to think or perceive that such wrong will be done back to me. That is, it's only right. But notice what happens. Look at the Proverbs literature, Proverbs chapter 20. And I'm just giving you a survey. I wish we had more time to think through these things or even do a series on this, but this one message will do for now. Proverbs chapter 20. And I want you to notice that what may be happening here is that the wisdom literature is now beginning to focus more on the heart of the individual. Notice Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, now this is just an aphorism, this is just a, a proverbial statement. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. So you're now being enjoined to ensure that your faith in God will allow all wrongs to be righted. You're, you're focusing on your own heart and you're also focusing on the Lord being the one who is your protector. Look at chapter 24. Chapter 24, verse 29. It says, Do not say... I will do to him as he has done to me. What is he talking about? Well, verse 28 says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Uh, in other words, uh, maybe something's happened, you've either seen something or something has been done to you, and now you're either appearing in a court of law or there's a dispute of some kind, and now you're responding, and something's potentially happened and you want to bring recompense, retribution against your neighbor. And the proverb says in verse 28, if you're a witness against your neighbor, it better not be without cause, and you better not be deceiving with your lips when you give such a testimony. And then verse 29, do not say, I will do him, this is the heart response, I will do to him as he has done to me, I will pay the man back for what he has done. Well, now there seems to be a little additional revelatory teaching on the subject because Lex Talionis, of course, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot. This is saying, I will do to him as he has done to me, but it says do not say that. Well, look, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, 
Here, the heart, the wisdom is don't say that in your heart and presumably you better watch out. In your heart, you ought to be very, very careful of retaliation. Look at chapter 25, verse 21. Now notice this. This is even giving us the back half of 1 Thessalonians 5.15 about doing good. Notice what it says, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Your enemy. You're not only not retaliating, but you're overcoming the evil from an enemy with good. This is, this is so very important. And now when you come to the New Testament, perhaps turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, you have the authoritative teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And here you have additional revelation, additional teaching by the authoritative Christ And now he's taking these Old Testament passages and saying, yes, it does say those things about retaliation. Yes, there is a lex talionis, but I want to take it to the very heart level, like some of those Proverbs say, and here, I know it says this, but I'm now authoritatively telling you by way of of Christological revelation, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what you need to do, Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, not contradictorily, but additionally, I'm saying to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And upon What basis? Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not, of course, what the Bible says. The Old Testament says love your enemy. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. But it had gotten twisted by the teachers of the law. And so he corrects this. The first is, I know that it does say that. I'm now telling you what ought to be the position of the heart. Now this is saying something that's only half right. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, yes. Hate your enemy, enemy, no. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, this is, this is new teaching. And it's coming to us from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. It's no big deal for you to love the people who love you. But it is a big deal to love the people who you know hate you. And you ought to be just like your heavenly Father who loves them both. If you've ever wondered whether or not John 3.16 John 3, is true, it is true. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. God loves both those who love him and he loves the enemies who are against him. You say, wait a minute, but doesn't Psalm 711 says that he, he hates the wicked every day, and there's a recompense coming? Yes, and both are true. 
In God's character, He's perfect love for everyone, and He's also perfect hatred to those who spurn Him. The Bible teaches both, and we ought to teach both as well. Look, look at Luke chapter 6. This is a parallel gospel, of course, to, to Matthew, Luke chapter 6. There's even some more teaching here, verse 27, Luke 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So, this new teaching, or maybe we could say Jesus' commentary on old teaching. This is, this is what is the New Testament precedent for a kind of response that is, that is embodied in none other than our Lord. This is what He did. This is how he lived his life. And this is how we ought to live our lives. I just read 1 Peter 2 in our Scripture reading. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he is threatened, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly or righteously. Now, I'll be the first to say, my hand goes up. Someone injures me, pokes me, criticizes me, wants to do me in, do damage to me, physically, spiritually, or otherwise. I don't think I'd want to be around them. I don't know that I have something within me that says that I can return such evil with good. Lord, you're going to have to give me the wisdom, the patience, the power, because this kind of teaching will, will certainly go down really hard. Well, if you're not convinced of these, look at Romans 12. This is, I think, talking both about our relationship to fellow believers, but also our relationship to unbelievers. Romans chapter 12 This is, this is quite interesting. Verse 14, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. That's one another in the fellowship. Fellow believers, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And then verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, and perhaps this is now extending even to unbelievers because it's honorable in the sight of all, not just all Christians, but all men, all women, if possible, so, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." Now, I know some of us want to take a little marker and say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says me. But it doesn't say that. And he even goes further with this doing a good. Verse 20, to the contrary, don't just in, entrust it to the Lord. Well, the Lord, here's, here's what the, the Lord's going to do. I, I'm not going to take my own revenge on you right now, but the Lord sure is. And one of these days, you're going to get it, fella. No, he says in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Remember back to those Proverbs? This is now Paul's divine commentary under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from the very proverb that says these things. If 
He's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, with the Roman believers and the Thessalonian believers, uh, there was this uh, series of staccato-like commands, you know, these, these sort of one-sentence, succinct commands, and it's in Romans 12, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we've been studying them. This is like uh, Paul making the rounds with the churches that he either founded or was visiting, and he was telling every one of them some house rules. In fact, the German word for these uh, house rules, Hausstefeln, house orders. This is the way you order your house. This is what you do in your home. This is what we do in the church, and this is what we do in the world. Now, should I make application for some of the things that I hear even professing Christians saying on social media and in conversations that don't seem to square with these things about certain perceived enemies? Perhaps political enemies? Perhaps governmental enemies? We prayed last week, didn't we, from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those who are over you. And it doesn't go on to say, and by the way, pray that they will have their comeuppance. It doesn't say that. It says if you've got an enemy here, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. I mean, this is, this is assuredly countercultural to the very fiber of men and women, myself included, who, when we're attacked, want to attack. But this is it's not what the Bible teaches. You remember the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, where there were actually in the church believers brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters, who were actually filing lawsuits against one another. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, now wait a minute, do you actually not realize that in the kingdom to come, you and I as Christians are even going to be judging the angels? Can you not get along with each other in the here and now? when you know that's what you're going to be doing in eternity? And then he says, do not have lawsuits with one another, with fellow Christians, out of bounds. Shouldn't be done. So, with that as a preparation, go now to 1 Thessalonians 5. That's just all introduction. 1 Thessalonians 5, here are the two, first the negative and then the positive, the two principles for today, and the first one is this, don't ever seek revenge upon your fellow Christian. It's a command. And I take no delight as the preacher in standing here and giving you a command that one expects everybody to obey with glee. I... I don't, because to do that would at some points not be sensitive to you if you have been injured, you have been sinned against, evil has been perpetrated against you by another professing believer. Nobody's saying that in glee, nobody's saying that in delight, no one's assuming that you're not really hurt, uh, that, that we're insensitive to your needs, and, and honestly, that's often what happens that if you simply tell them, here's what the Bible teaches, and here are some things that may help you by way of some of these passages, and you share something like 1 Thessalonians 5.15 with them, and they say, you're insensitive to me. You don't understand. I know that's what the Bible says, but he hurt me so deeply. Well, no one is saying by giving a passage, encouraging someone to obey a passage that we're automatically insensitive. Not, not the case at all. In fact, we're being most sensitive because we're, we're trying to help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to obey what the Bible says because when you obey what the Bible says, there is always blessing.
Always blessing. And right out of verse 15, here's what the Bible says. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Do you notice the 100% words here? No one. No Christian. It's out of bounds. To repay, here's a 100% word, anyone evil for evil. No qualifications here. Do not seek revenge against almost anyone except for that person who hurt me so deeply. In that case, I can give full vent to my anger and retaliate as I desire because this is the one exception. It just isn't, no matter what it is. And it could be potentially one of the most horrific things that you and I would think that a Christian, a professing Christian, could do to another professing Christian. But here's what it says. See that, see to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil. You gotta, you gotta take it to the Lord. You gotta, you gotta entrust it to the Lord. That's what First Peter two says. When, when he was beaten, when he was flogged, when Jesus was placed upon that cross, he kept entrusting himself to God, who judges justly. I have to give it to the Lord. I have to release it to Him. And if you want to see a passage, look at Second Thessalonians chapter one. If you want to see the, the, the revenge part, now this, of course, is, you know, believer to another believer, but if you widen it out, you know, perhaps a believer to an unbeliever who's been very naughty toward you, reckless toward you, you're a believer, they're not, and, and they've persecuted you and you're suffering as a result of your testimony, whatever it may be, this is the avenger. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, Paul says, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith. In, in what kind of context? In all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So they're going through it, folks. They, they are really going through it. They are being persecuted. They are suffering. And Paul says in verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So we're not talking about a, a, a problematic hangnail. We're talking about real suffering, real persecution, and it's for your faith. No wonder verse 6 says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Well, see, someone could take that out of context and say, okay, I've just been given the license to afflict the brother, the person, the man, the woman. Because it says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands and do it. But what does it go on to say? and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Who's doing the afflicting? The Lord Jesus. I trust it with Him. I'm going to give it to Him. And verse 9 says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So you have to entrust it to the Lord. You can't take it into your own hands. You can't be a one-man, one-woman vigilante force. You can't do it. You have to leave it to the Lord. The Lord Jesus, when He's revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, if, if somebody has caused you to suffer for the sake of the gospel, they hate your testimony. They hate you. And perhaps with what we're seeing lived out in our world, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the kind of vendetta 
the, the, the kind of, of attack that may be coming on, on droves of Christians. We don't know. But if it comes, you've got the verse. You, you, you can't inflict your own vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Folks, they are not our enemy. They are our mission field. Even as they are railing against us. I mean, what is behind allowing God himself to deal with the evil perpetrated against you? It is this. I leave all retribution, all vengeance in his hands, my heavenly Father, who will send the Lord Jesus when the time is right for the sending, and I'll allow the Lord to be the avenger. I've I've got to give it to him. If I don't, my mind will motivate me to take matters in my own hand, and I will be equally brutal with them. You say, yeah, eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth. How about giving your enemy something to drink? You know, even even the holy angels are said not to take matters in their own hands. Listen to this, Jude 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He's doing angelically what we're doing as humans. The the Lord will take care of this. The Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to do that. So don't seek revenge, retaliation, retribution against anyone for any reason, especially those of the household of faith. Second and finally, seek to consistently do good, that is good deeds, toward your fellow Christians instead of revenge. And I would say to everyone. To everyone. That's the latter part of verse 15. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's why I've separated out this particular principle because it's not just with believers, but it is also to everyone. That's even unbelievers. You say, well, what happens if I am giving a fellow believer who's injured me a drink of water, a cool drink of water in Jesus' name, and they never come back and seek my forgiveness. They, they, never, they never in reciprocity, they, they never with a reciprocal good word or a good deed ever come back. You just, you just give that to the Lord too. You just give that to the Lord. We're not in charge of doing something for what we hope is a wonderful same something as a comeback. We're not in charge of that, right? You, you and I may say to ourselves, look, if I do a good deed to the person who injured me, perhaps they'll do a good, do, uh, a good deed to me and we'll be even. Or Maybe if my motivation is to do good to them, they'll respond because they'll be so cotton-picking convicted. Perhaps they will, but perhaps they won't. But it doesn't change my response at all. Perhaps I may even be talking about some uh, Christian husbands and wives in the home. This is, this is a wonderful reciprocation of doing good to one another. This is just yet another one another. Do good to one another in the context of not bringing revenge upon them for some evil deed toward you. And it says the scope of such good is to everyone. To everyone. And perhaps because we are in this time of social unrest, of governmental unrest, We should be reminded of Titus chapter 3. Could you turn over there with me? This is is a very important text that all of us, myself included, should take to heart 
in this time in our country. Titus 3. Remind them, Paul reminding Titus to be reminded to tell those in the church that Titus is overseeing, remind them, and maybe even church is, remind them, all these believers that that you're over in the Lord, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. There's that doing of good. You're, You're ready to do good things, to speak evil of no one. Ouch, that stings to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and notice this, my dear friends, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, I don't know about you, but I get so convicted when I compare my life and my words to not only fellow believers, but to unbelievers, the very ones I'm trying to win, when it says, oh, and by the way, show perfect courtesy toward all of them. Perfect courtesy? Are you stark raving mad? I can't. Perfect courtesy? To all of those who are trying to destroy our very country? He says, let me tell you why. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. In other words, just remember who you were before Christ. And don't expect those who aren't Christians to act like they're Christians. Expect them for who they are. Expect them for what they do. Because you used to be like them. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. I don't treat them as enemies because I was once one of them. And now I'm not one of them. So now I need to reach out to them and remind myself at the same time, of what I once was. This is, this is so clear. And if First Thessalonians is not your cup of tea, then Galatians 6.10 will be your cup of tea because it says very, very clearly virtually the same thing in Galatians 6.10 that First Thessalonians 5.15 says, and here's what it says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I mean, that's just, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that just about covers us all. So as we close this morning, I go back to Louis Zamperini's story. And here's what he says, and what is most interesting about this is that though this particular book was first published in 2003, Louis, at the age of 94, wrote a new afterword to bring his thoughts up to date, which was at the age of 94, just before he died at 94. And this is what he says. And think of our particular passage in mind when I read this. In 1943, the bomber I was aboard crashed into the Pacific Ocean on a rescue mission. I was one of three who miraculously survived. Although one man died on the 33rd day at sea, the pilot and I endured 47 days drifting 2,000 miles westward only to be captured by the Japanese. They imprisoned, tortured, and humiliated us. I was singled out by a sadistic and psychotic prison guard, that's of course the bird, who wanted to make me record a propaganda radio message, but I never once gave in to pressure. Two and a half years later, the war ended and we were damaged but free. 
back in Los Angeles, I was haunted by nightmares of being a POW. I became a brawler and an alcoholic and almost lost my wife. You know, I thought of Titus 3 when I read that. For you were once, right? But after listening to a sermon by the then young Billy Graham, I managed to look up and find faith before I hit bottom. I subsequently returned to Japan and met with my captors and forgave them. Later, I started an outreach camp for wayward boys, worked to become a respected member of the community and told my story to anyone who would listen. I could have been bitter about what had happened to me, but if I've learned one thing in life, it's that all things work together for the good. I didn't know it at the time, and frankly, I wouldn't want to repeat the miseries I've been through, but in the end, they all added up to many of the opportunities, accolades, and experiences I've had since. When in 2001, William Morrow, the publisher, asked me to write the story you're reading now, I knew I was very lucky indeed. Now I'm almost 94 years old and still going strong. Now, that's a guy who might have had every single reason to want to retaliate. But he chose Romans 8.28, and God causes all things to work together for good. To them who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, this message of 1 Thessalonians 5.15 is... It's hard. Some of us have been brutally treated by even other Christians, let alone the world. But Father, we want to obey you and we want to obey your word. And we don't want to inflict our own retaliation and vengeance upon anyone that is evil for evil, but we want to do good. We want to do good to, to one another and to everyone because this honors you and you'll determine who's done what and when and where and how and we'll thank you for giving us the grace to endure and you'll give us a reward for the doing of good toward others. Father, let us, even in our country's woes, whether it's health-related, financially, governmentally, let us do good so that we would be the very drawing card for the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we gratefully pray. Amen.